Welcome to the biggest thing to hit the financial advisory ESG community, environmental, social, and governance. I'm Jonathan Kavaznik, CHFC Wealth Advisor. With over 25 years advisory experience, I've been advising clients so they can make a positive global impact. Hello, and welcome to the ESG Players Podcast with your host, Jonathan Kavaznik, one of the leading ESG advisors in the country. I am producer Becca. This week, we will be discussing the UN Sustainable Development Goal number six, ensure access to water and sanitation for all. We have a wonderful guest today, Lynn Broadus, PhD, founder and president of Broadview Collaborative in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Lynn launched Broadview Collaborative in 2014. It is an independent consulting practice focused on accelerating sustainable and resilient water practices in the United States. Lynn, welcome to the ESG Players Podcast. Well, thank you for inviting me. Hello, everyone in podcast land, and welcome to today's show. Thank you, Lynn, for joining us to have a wonderful discussion about sustainability goal number six, ensuring access to water and sanitation for all. Lynn, can you start a little bit about telling us the mission of Broadview Collaborative and what that's all about? Well, sure. Uh, Broadview Collaborative gives me an opportunity to bring together the myriad of experiences I've had in my life around water and other environmental issues, uh, including energy and biodiversity, but uh, especially the brilliance and energy that I see in all the different sectors, whether they be citizen advocacy, the utility sector, water utility sector, where people are working hard every day to make sure that communities have clean drinking water and that dirty water is cleaned up in a sanitation that, that we think of and we take for granted, um, as well as people from the industrial sector and government sector trying to bring those different perspectives together to advance the sustainable uh, life that we know is possible. Water is so critical to our communities. I always love to, to quote George Hawkins, who used to be the director of D.C. Water, Washington, D.C.'s Water and Wastewater Utility, when he would be asked, you know, well, how many jobs does your utility and your operation support? And the answer, you know, people expected him to list the couple of thousand people that worked for him. and But he would answer correctly, I think, all of them. Our communities simply can't exist without, you know, modern sanitation and clean water. So our economies are, and our, our livelihoods, our well-being, and certainly just basic joy in life are underwritten by water. That's pretty amazing uh, task to have to uh, undertake. It seems like it could almost be overwhelming when you think about all the different players and all the different entities that are involved in making sure that we don't pollute our environment and that we have uh, clean water access. One of the areas that I see you are expert in and have a lot of experience in is bringing together uh, young inventors and young people or new people who are interested in trying to innovate new ways to do this. Can you explain a little bit about how that fits in to bringing the players together? Well, yeah, so we have, you might think of water in kind of a couple of different phases through the, even if you think about through the millennia, you know, back when uh, we like to look to the Romans who first figured out how to bring clean water into cities uh, through the, the viaducts, and that's what really allowed them to start creating uh, denser populations at larger sizes than maybe what others had been able to, to do previous to that. Fast forward 
to, um, let's say, 1800s or so in uh, U.S. and Europe and that sort of thing, we went through the next revolution where um, uh, we learned how to pipe away sewage and um, uh, eventually figured out that that sewage and uh, contamination is what causes disease. In the 1900s, we learned how to treat incoming drinking water and then eventually to treat the wastewater so that, again, our communities could develop in denser, um, more intensive ways. Well, and, and we have a water infrastructure that was built largely, some of it back into the 1800s, but um, uh, most of it was built you know, using technologies that were advanced in the 60s, 70s, 80s. But as we look to the future with higher demands on water, you know, higher population, more food demanding that water, more energy demanding that water, and knowing that water treatment and the movement of water in our communities is a very energy-intensive process. There's, we're hitting our limits with climate change, with um, energy constraints, with the constraints of water itself, with um, uh, more impervious surfaces that, that uh, cause water to run off faster and carry more pollutants with it. We need to find new ways to, we need to go sort of through the next revolution, if you will, in what our water infrastructure and our water services look like. And that's where the innovation comes in. And innovation, there are certainly innovators at, at all ages, not just uh, younger people, but, you know, it's not surprising to know that people who are coming through school who are um, uh, most concerned about what uh, with climate change and with the other challenges that we have on the, the planet and in our communities, that those are the ones that have a real hunger for um, making the changes that I think are essential for uh, allowing us to kind of move through that new revo next revolution and be able to continue to live on our planet in a sustainable way. Yeah. So if we think about some of our listeners, uh, mostly probably are more local in the uh, region here, uh, but also it's a global issue, is what would you say that uh, people could really do to make a difference and start changing their habits, is it, or the way that they do things, or just being an advocate? What could the community really do on a local level to make things change? Sure. Well, you know, we always think of, you know, the turn off the water when you're brushing your teeth. Well, certainly we should all be uh, thoughtful about how we use our water. I'm going to maybe suggest things that every individual can do as they think about water. Um, one is to use less hot water. Hot water is one of the biggest energy users of all. Um, and we don't really think about, about that, but um, so being efficient with how you use hot water, short showers, cold water on your water cycle, changing out your water heater so that it is uh, an efficient water heater, maybe a tankless one, uh, turning it off or down when you're away from home for extended periods of time. So there's that category. There's a category of how you deal with water outside of your home. One of the uh, biggest growing areas for water use is in lawn irrigation. Now, there is nobody that can claim that um, uh, having a green lawn all year, all summer long is um, an essential part of life. Uh, and especially, um, it's especially exacerbated when we fertilize our, our lawns because that increases the water demand. 
and um, and then also increases the pollution as that water comes off the lawns. So I would uh, ask, suggest that people really think about how they landscape their homes and their um, their businesses to use less or no fertilizer, to try to capture the rainwater on site uh, using um, native plants that have long tap roots and can allow the water to drain into the soil rather than run off into the street, to have rain gardens, to consider um, cisterns or rain barrels to capture the water and be able to reuse it for outdoor uses where you don't need uh, you know, super clean city water. Um, so think about how you use your water outside of your of your home. And then also think about what you eat. Food, uh, the, the two biggest users of water in our country and in most other countries, agriculture and energy. So um, uh, for the agricultural sector, uh, first of all, make sure you don't waste food. Second of all, try to move your food consumption down the food pyramid, away from meat and dairy, down towards plant-based foods. That's a great way to protect the water supply, and, and both in terms of amount of water and in the pollution to the water. Thirdly, with regard to the foods that we buy, think about the origin of those foods. To the extent that you can... Uh, either grow your own food, I guess, to some, some of us can do that, but to the extent that you can get food from farmers and producers that are using regenerative agriculture, organic agriculture that uses less water, less outside fertilizers for the food that they're growing, the better you're going to be doing in terms of your water footprint. So, And then, of course, because energy is one of the biggest users of water, use less energy. Whatever you can do to conserve or be efficient with the energy you use, whether that's in the energy in your homes and businesses, the transportation choices that you make, that all has an impact on water. So as you see, water runs through our economy in every which way, not just through the flushing of our toilets and the, uh, what comes out of our taps. Water is critical to everything, and by the same token, everything that we do has an impact on water. You know what? I just love listening to you. <laughs> You're amazing, Lynn. I got to say, you know, of course, I did a little scoping on you. I noticed that you are down to one car. Are you really down to one car? Well, we were for a while. And my husband's, I have to confess, my husband's okay. job changed oh. so that he needed a car more often. But I will say that today, both cars are in the garage. Awesome. He has ridden his fat tire bicycle to his awesome. uh, job about four miles away. And I'm, of course, sitting here <laughs> at my home office. So um, we've had a couple of periods where we've been able to get down to one car. But now, alas, we're, um, uh, we're back to two cars. We, we were able to make that second car purchase, uh, an electric car. Awesome. But um, we do our best to use our bicycles or um, public transportation as much awesome. as possible. That's one of the things I've always dreamt of. Can we have one car? <laughs> How do we do yeah. that, right? <laughs> well, hopefully someday. Right. So, Lynn, there are, I, in within the UN Sustainable Goal Number 6, one of the things they talk about is they say that there's more than 2 billion people living with the risk of reduced access to fresh water resources, and that by 2050, at least one in four people is likely to live 
in a country that's affected by chronic or reoccurring shortages of fresh water. Drought affects some of the world's poorest countries, worsening hunger and malnutrition. But fortunately, there has been some great progress made in the past decade regarding drinking sources and sanitation, whereby over 90% of the world's population now has access to some improved sources of drinking water. We all know the importance of fresh drinking water and a strong sanitation infrastructure. But is there something that people can do globally to help this problem? Is it, I know that what you, you've given us some great points of what people can do locally and in our community, which I love because you mentioned tons of things that I have not gotten to yet. But is there a change someone could make globally that would help? Well, yeah, that's a great question. And I know that um, it's hard for us as individuals sitting in Minnesota or wherever we are in North America to think about those those global things. We can't get on an airplane and fly somewhere and fix someone's problem necessarily. But I would say, you know, there are a lot of um, organizations that are working on that issue. Um, and perhaps the way that we as, uh, you know, everyday citizens can be most supportive is, uh, one, to support our federal government's role in other countries to um, uh, to support equitable development, to support um, uh, some of the, the programs that we have going on through uh, the UN and through the State Department to, um, to support sustainable development in other countries. Also, there are many, um, I have the great fortune of working with hundreds and hundreds of water engineers around the United States and actually globally, but I, I have most connection with the ones in the United States. And many of them volunteer their time to help design and implement and operate, teach people how to operate um, water treatment facilities in developing countries. And so the, to the extent that we support our water utilities and the professionals there, this is something they do in their, their free time. It gives them great pleasure. But I also want us to keep in mind that the problems are not just in other countries. We don't have good figures on what is happening in the United States, but we have thousands of communities in the United States, I would venture, that do not have access to safe drinking water and do not have um, good sanitation. The, the kinds of things that I've seen myself, some of them are in poor rural communities where you might expect sanitation problems, some, but they're not always like that. I was in a state capital that shall remain unnamed during travels earlier this, uh, this past year. And I'm not sure if, uh, if the uninitiated would have picked up on this, but as I was walking around that city, I could tell where there was sewage connecting into the surface stream, where the water distribution system was breaking out into the, the curb. So there, I could see this infrastructure falling apart in front of my eyes. I could see this, the, the remnants of the, the effects of sewage leakage into the little surface streams where neighborhood kids would normally be playing. But we also, you know, I, I've talked a lot with people in Alabama that are, live and work in what is called the Black Belt of Alabama. It's a, not, not so much the city of Selma, but much of the um, rural area around that. And uh, there are just 
unspeakable problems with sanitation there. And it's in part because sometimes maybe those who have the power to invest in infrastructure do so in ways that are a little bit self-serving and not for the benefit of the community. Uh, but it's certainly not limited to African-American, you know, poor African-American communities in the South. We see it in on uh, tribal lands, on areas where there are concentrations of agricultural workers and you know, minimum wage agricultural workers whose wells are, are so contaminated with agricultural pollutants that they can't safely drink that water, maybe have to travel miles to, to find a potable source of water. So I think that there's a lot that we can do in the United States that go hand in hand with some of the other UN sustainable development goals around equity and alleviation of poverty, empowering individuals, educating, making sure that, that girls and women are educated. And it's really hard to separate out these environmental problems from all the other social issues. So I think that, I guess this is a very long way of saying that in order to try to alleviate some of these global, including U.S., sanitation and drinking water quality problems, it's not just about running out and digging a well or installing a functioning septic system for someone. It's also about the fundamental work on social equity, participation in democracy with a small d so that everybody has access to decisions that are being made, getting getting the money out of our political decisions and all that whole cascade of, of issues. Well, we've been talking with Lynn Broadus, president of Broadview Collaborative. Lynn, thanks for taking time out of your tireless mission today to ensure access to water and sanitation for all through the hard work that you're doing um, can you let our listeners know if they want to use this as an eye-opener and really uh, a call to take action, how can they find your organization and how can uh, they locate you? Well, I welcome people to find me at my, my website, which as a sole practitioner, I don't always keep it up super well, but my website is www.broadviewcollaborative.com. My email address is lbroaddus at broadviewcollaborative.com. And I welcome people uh, to follow me on Twitter at Lynn Broadus uh, on Twitter and uh, where I like to express my opinions and find out what's going on, find out from others what's going on in the world and some of the exciting things that are happening right here in Minnesota. Lynn, just amazing, amazing information that Hopefully people can learn and make some steps for the future for themselves and in the community. And we just really, really appreciate you being one of the players in this world, in our water security. Just thank you so much. Well, thank you. Thank you for your whole podcast series and what you all are doing to uh, try to make this this world and our community a a better place for all. I appreciate it. Thank you for everything (laughs) you do. Thank you, Lynn. Take care, Lynn. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. If you have any questions, please contact Jonathan Kavaznik at jkavaznik, that's K-V-A-S-N-I-K, at securitiesamerica.com. ESG Players Podcast can be found on iTunes, Spreaker, SoundCloud, and many other platforms through the Backroom Studios. That's Backroom Studios, S-T-E-W-D-I-O-S. 
Securities offered through Securities America, Inc., member FINRA, SIPC, Jonathan B. Kovacnik, CHFC, Registered Representative, Advisory Services offered through Securities America Advisories, Inc., Cherokee Investment Services, Bank Cherokee, and Securities America are separate companies, not FDIC insured, no bank guarantees, may lose value, not insured by any government agency, not bank deposits.